ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. From some of the best elk hunters in the world. Across the canyon, pop up the other side and the wind is right at my back and blows right into it. I cut him off and say, I'm the best one, not you. I love it, man. I feel like I'm super blessed to call myself an elk hunter. To beat them at their game, to get them within that bow range, convincing them that I'm one of them. you got to close that distance really quick on him. And if he's going to engage that much, that's a dead bull. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast. Sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. Whether you're chasing bugles over the next ridge, sitting a stand out east, this is about passion. Pursuing our dreams of field, our lifestyle, the betterment of self and community, the enlightenment that comes from those moments spent in God's creation. Through these conversations, I hope you find insight, inspiration, education, and motivation to push beyond your limits sacrifice the performance of the arrow on impact to gain speed and and that's what you shouldn't do you know if you can if you can build an arrow that can guarantee you a solid performance on impact and give you good penetration and and good cutting cotton contact surface and good good blood trail uh, and have a speed have at it mm-hmm well, accuracy you know. too, right? I mean, that's, and that's one of the things like, you know, talking to like Kyle Davis and, and these other kind of engineer aerodynamic, you know, data geeks, if you will, right? There's a, there's a cutoff point for speed and accuracy. And when, you know, when these builds start to go, we'll call it down the other way or down the other side mm-hmm. of that hill. Mm-hmm. And, and, and maybe to a point you have to be very discerning of, what that accuracy looks like. Is it, you know what I mean? Is it on the line or is it fully in the circle, not touching a line type variation? Is that going to matter to most hunters? I, well, okay. Let me qualify that. I would hope yes, because we should be aiming for a tuft of hair and not mm. an eight inch pie plate in my opinion. Um, but there's so many, there's so many variables, but going back to it, that's why I think a balanced, a balanced arrow build, right? A decent amount of FOC, and a decent amount of speed, whatever, you know, whatever that looks like is where we should be, you know. I, it, I, it's got to certainly be customized to your needs, to the type of hunt that you do and to the type of animal that you're planning on harvesting. Uh, I think that, you know, those things have a big, big impact. And also 
to your boat and your anchoring point because Man, you should have seen Beto. I had Beto out here at my house when I was doing Because Beto, I don't know if you, you know, you heard the earlier podcast when I was talking about the heavy arrows and just kind of the, the journey that I was going through to kind of learning all these things. And because I had, I was having failures with my arrows and that's what triggered everything, right? So started looking into it. It's like, God dang it, you know, I, I can figure this shit out, man. So I went in and I started looking into it and then I just started coming up with the 12 factors of the, you know, Dr. Ashby and then just other guys online that I started looking into the ranch ferry being one of them who, you know, follow Dr. Ashby, but also Bomar uh, hunting and just those guys that were very technical, very detailed. And I'm like, Hmm, there's something here. So when I started talking about that on the podcast, Gilbert's like, Oh God damn it. Yeah. I just like a, an arrow. I can, I can get off the shelf. I put it on my bow and I shoot it and boom, animals die, man. Every time I shoot, you know, how, how, how I'll bet they go. I was like, no, I don't disagree. Motherfucker. You actually do pretty damn good at killing animals. But for the rest of us, normal human beings, <laughs> You know, I, but you know, there, you know, there's, there's something to be said. I, for years, that's what I did as I, as I would buy shelf arrows and then I got into building my own arrows and then I went back to shelf arrows, right? Just, just factory arrows. Um, because when you start going down that GD rabbit hole, man, it, it's, it's perpetual dude. Like it's just, yeah, it can a, get in your head. Yeah, dude. And I mean, I was buying, <laughs> I was buying a dozen arrows and I would have four, Three to four different builds with that arrow, just finding that, you know what I mean? Finding that length after I figured out the weight and finding that length where that thing was just driving X's, X, 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 you know, and I didn't see those variations. Um, but a lot of that, too, goes – there's a lot to be said about the quality of the arrow as well, right? Because yes. I yes. was using uh, X brand for so many years. They did something, and I don't know if they outsourced or they went to – China or Maldives or whatever dropped decreased. And, yeah. Oh dude, I would hit, I'd hit a hay bale. <laughs> and if I punched, if I was, you know, within, you know, 30 yards, call it, it went to the back of the hay because at our range, they get pretty worn out. And there's like this thick conveyor rubber mat on the backside of them. So they don't go through and, and they would hit that and they would just explode. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. the tail of the ass end that's sticking out of the hay, it would just blow up. And I was like, but, okay, but, I'm done with these. But my point with Gilbert, when he came to the house and I walk him through the process of, you know, building an arrow specifically for him, he was blown away. He's like, God damn, Luis, what the hell, bro? This shit's crazy, man. And I was like, I've been telling you, man. And now, like, he talks about these arrows that I built for him. I said, oh, damn, I killed seven animals. I've only lost one arrow because, you know, it passed through and it dug into the earth and I never found it and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's the thing. Yes, those arrows are going to be more expensive, but the durability on those arrows is also, uh, you know, going to pay for itself. What, really, are you, so. what are you uh, using right now in terms of your carbon? Um, Sirius, <clears throat> the Sirius Archery Apollo's. Um, oh my God, man, super tough, super tough guy. I mean, I've, I've seen the craziest thing with these. So one of the, I've seen like, here's two, two quick events. One of them was I shot a hog 
shot through the hog. I was shooting from a tree and behind the hog, there was a, a log on the ground, like a solid log. The arrow went through the hog. The, the broadhead lodged into the log behind the hog. The hog fell, like completely fell tits up and rolled over the arrow and took off running. And I could see the arrow kind of starting to come out of him and then lost the arrow kind of halfway on its way to die. And then when I went and I looked at the, um, at the broadhead, the broadhead was lodged into the log. The furl of the broadhead was intact and the insert, the, the, there was part of the insert in the broadhead still screwed into the furl. So when I found the shaft, the rest of the insert was parted a quarter of an inch or half an inch into the, into the shaft, but the, that bottom section was still glued in there. So it parted the insert, but it didn't break the shaft. No, dude, this is like, like, like uh, a steel. Oh, no way. I was going to say, I will insert. See, I won't, I won't run aluminum. hundred grain. Yeah. I won't, huh? I won't even run aluminum. I thought it was aluminum. So I was about to talk mess, but <laughs> I'm glad I oh, asked. Oh, dude, this is like <laughs> steel, a hundred grain insert, heavy duty shit. And it didn't part the shaft. So that's one. And then the other one was, uh, I shot through two hogs and then it lodged in the tree behind them. And then didn't break the shaft either. Damn. What, uh, so, what broadheads are you running? I've been, I've been trying uh, different ones, right? So uh, I really like the A-Boyer. A-Boyer a -Boyer is a guy that uh, has a shop in his own house. And I've talked to him. His name is Larry. Um, he does really good broadheads. They're two blades. Uh, those are great, but the two blades are hit and miss with the blood trails, man. Um, but they're great for heavy bone. Um, the, the elk I killed this year was with my, uh, my grizzly stick overkill. It was also a two blade. Single bevel uh, or double bevel? Single bevel. Single yeah. Bevel. I, I, I tend to go single bevel mostly. And, um, I've tried the, uh, the traditional sharpshooter from, um, um, Magnus. Is it Magnus? I think, I think it's, no, the stingers are the Magnus. I've tried those two. And then the traditional sharpshooter is, uh, gosh, what is the name of that company? Anyhow, but Beto, Beto try those because it has four blades, but uh, I'm not a fan. And then now I have in my quiver, the iron wheel, the, the single bevel with bleeders yeah, and the bleeders buddy. are single bevel. Yep. Uh, and you saw they just like came out medicine. Yeah. They, uh, so I actually did a bunch of, I, I call it data gathering, right? I was going to have some, some broadhead content last year and I just get lazy, but anywho, so I got the, I narrowed it down. I got the Cayugas, the single bevel with the bleeder. Well, the Cayugas, you could actually take the bleeder on and off. Um, mm -hmm. I have the iron wheel. I got a ton of iron wheels, dude, a ton. Um, cause I was, 
in 2018, I started shooting the iron wheels. And then I also have, uh, I've been running the kudu points and I run the kudu, the contours. That's a single bevel, no bleeder. Then now they, I think it was last year, early last year, they released or introduced the contour with the, uh, the bleeders. Bleeder. And, uh, man, I, I love the bleeders, man. But I haven't seen, and I haven't had the issue with the single bevel double blades with the blood. I'll send you a p- couple pictures. And I mean, you yeah. want to talk about dripping? Like, yeah, I, I agree. And I think at the end of the day, it really has to be, has to do with shot placement, right? Yeah. But, but I mean, there's something to be said about that, that little tear in a straight line like that. And when the animal runs, that skin just kind of prevents that blood from coming out. That I, it just, I've seen it. I've seen that issue happen. Now, look, with that elk I shot this year, I mean, it was buckets of blood. You know, I, I saw him fall in front of me, right? But there were buckets and buckets of blood from where I shot him to where I found him. And that was a single bevel. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just kind of playing with that. And, and, and yeah, to your point, I think you were going to mention that the Iron Wheels came out with a left bevel now. Yeah, yeah, I saw that drop. Those are hired fine. See, my... My arrow shaft tendency out of my bow on both bows is left rotation. There it is then. Yeah, because I uh both both kudu and the iron wheels have that that right or left bevel. Yeah. Um, bevel. Um Do you shoot right or left? Mine's right. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I also have a custom string and and you know the the theory mm-hmm. is, you know, right twist on the string. Mm-hmm. left on the uh, arrow, et cetera. So I, I had that purposely done because of what I had in the, call it the arrow can or the, the broadhead can. But I, I did some some ballistic gel test um, oh, cool. last year. And, uh, with the broadheads? Yeah. And, dude, I tell you nice. what, with, with the introduction to the bleeder on the single bevels, is it's phenomenal what that little blade does, and you you Improved on the surface penetration you mean, or just the tear? Just just the cutting surface. I mean, it is. Uh, I'll have to send you a couple of the videos. Um, it's impressive, dude. I mean, it is like that's wow. Cool. It's you know, it's slice upon slice, and and what I what I found is that it's joining the wound channels. Um. I had, I shot, so I was doing a eight by six by 15 inch gelatin block and I would shoot as close as I could to the middle. And I had tears all the way through the top of the gelatin. And it was, it was absolutely phenomenal to see that stuff split. That's cool. Yeah. It was pretty cool. I'll send you the videos. Yeah, please do, man. I'm always like geeking that stuff out. Uh, give me, give me one second, brother. Uh, there we got an issue at the rig and uh this isn't good i'm pretty sure that just Yeah, I'm sorry about that, brother. 
I'm I'm ready when you are, man. I think shit, we could have probably recorded all that and have a good podcast out of it too. I got 14 <laughs> minutes of it, bro. <laughs> oh, you did? Yeah. I said I said I'm gonna hit record and you were talking, so I just hit it. <laughs> oh, nice. There you go. See, yeah. that's uh that's the kind of stuff that uh that we need to teach Joe. Yeah. Yeah, he does that on purpose though. He's he's cautious, <laughs> yeah. man. He's got to make sure everybody's in check and in line first. Yeah. I've been uh So are you recording now, bro? Yeah, yeah, we've been recording. Oh, okay. Yeah, we okay. got uh we got 14. We're about 15 minutes in. Okay. Um, so yeah, let's just, let's go with introductions after 15 minutes on with uh my brother Luis Gonzalez uh of Elk Bros fame and uh Venezuelan mafia. Uh, podcast. <laughs> What's happening, my brother? Yeah. Sounds good, brother, man. Now, thank you for the invite, guy. I mean, I was, like I told you, I was looking forward to to this today. Been a busy day, and uh, I just served me a strong drink and said, I'm going to relax and have a good conversation with my brother, guy. So, the honor to be here, man. I know, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's special for me. You know, I, I'm, I'm one of the newest guys at the Elbrow Elbrows and, and obviously, you know, with the least experience probably. And, uh, just, just to be here is, is super cool. And, and, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, filling big shoes of whomever has been, been on this hot seat before. No, so, I, I appreciate humbled. the time, man. No, I, I, the, the pleasure's all mine. And, and, you know, with, with that, new beginnings, if you will, in, in the Elk Woods. I think there's a ton of value that some of us would tend to overlook uh, looking to the guys that have been doing it for 25 and 30 years, right? And and as well as, you know, guys like Joe and Chav um, and, and, you know, Mike and Dirk and all those guys who are presenting the information do, there's stuff that they weren't challenged with 25, 20 years ago, right. 10 years ago, for that matter, uh, when you talk right. about the landscape of information and and just the landscape of elk hunting with, you know, the additional pressures with this getting so popular yeah. and, and, and booming, you know. So I think there's huge yeah. value um, to talk to guys that, you know, are, are students of the game um, and are out there, you know, trying to learn and to get to that, you know, Dirk, Joe, Michael, Paul status. I, th I think it's a, it's a big deal and it leads for good conversation. And then for me and you, I mean, I think we've been hunting elk about the same amount of time. Um, so, you know, to talk about our ins and outs and our, uh, our woes. <laughs> <laughs> Ups and downs, yeah, left man. and right. And, 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 you know, and there's a, and there's a couple of different perspectives here, right? Um, you've had some phenomenal mentorship on the mountain, whereas I've been, you know, and, and I'm not belittling anything, please don't take it that way. Um, uh, where I've been like, okay, I'm gonna figure this mess out. Um, yeah. you know what I mean? And then there's, there's opinions of people going on guided hunts, semi-guided hunts, things like that. And, and getting that boost to the learning curve that I think is hugely valuable. Uh, and on the other side of that, you know, conversely, there's something to be said about getting your teeth kicked in. Yeah, no, I look, uh, so again, going back, um, probably going back to introductions a little bit. Um, and and don't forget me to get to your point because I mean we can go down many rabbit holes here, but um, 
Yeah, <laughs> Luis Luis Gonzalez was born in, and raised in Venezuela, uh, and then you know kind of left left home and uh, searched for my own horizons and done some work international and eventually landed in the U.S. and been in the U.S. for quite a while. Right, um, came a U.S. citizen, been working here for um, over eighteen years now, and. Um, you know, and my my profession is uh, petroleum engineering. Um, my profession led me to uh, meet uh, one of my good friends, Gilbert Ornelas, who was actually the first guy that uh, introduced me to elk hunting uh, on a rifle hunt. He invited me to right, and uh, we had a blast. Um, I had knew nothing about elk hunting. I had done you know, uh, hunting in Venezuela and fishing in Venezuela before. So I've always had a passion for the outdoors, but, uh, never, never had an experience, uh, with elk hunting. So Gilbert took me to, to this one trip and man, and I fell in love with the experience. And, and, uh, so we kind of kept on talking about the hunting world and hunting in the U S obviously here in the U S you're not supposed to get, you know, uh, rifles or any kinds of guns until you become a citizen or a permanent resident. And so it wasn't until I became a citizen, permanent resident, until I just went out there and started getting a shotgun and started shooting clays and then got into rifle hunting. And then Gilbert is like, man, you know, if you were as passionate as I am about hunting, you've got to try bow hunting, you know? And it's like, okay, you know, I, I don't know. I just, you know, don't seem to have much interest on it. And, and then um, I have a cousin who lives in Dallas and she is like, man, you've got to me. I hadn't met uh, her husband and she's like, you got to meet my husband. He loves hunting. He's hunting all the time. And he used to hunt all the time in Venezuela. Um, so I was like, okay, sure enough. And then one day this guy calls me out of the blue. So she gave him my contact, my contact information. And uh, I met Manano uh, on a, on a phone call. Right. So, we hit it off, man. We just started talking about hunting and stuff like that. And he tells me, look, man, I hunt public land. Uh, I just started hunting probably two years ago. I bought me a bow and I just been trying to bow hunt here in this public land in Dallas. And I'm like, you know, it, he's like, you should get you a bow and come hunt with me and blah, blah, blah. So I just, I started asking him for details. It's like, you know what? You're the second guy that, you know, keeps telling me that I need to get a bow. So one day I called him up from the shop. I was like, Hey man, I bought a bow which one do I need to get? And you know, what time, when are we meeting? And so he's like, Oh, are you serious? I was like, yeah, I'm coming over. So I went over to their house, uh, yeah, went visited my cousin and, and obviously met Manano. And then the next morning we went out to public land and we hunted all weekend in that public land, man. And, uh, we had a blast, you know, Manano had actually never, recovered an animal with a bow and that weekend on that Sunday on our way out he actually shot a hog and I found it and so so it was so cool because we have a lot of friends in common and uh and all you know all our friends were like yeah Manano you've been hunting for how many years now so all you needed if it was for Luis to show up and now you kill animals. This is kind of shady. I think Luis killed it. And, you know, and you're, you're pretending to, you know, he's so nice that he's just letting you take the glory of the kill. I, uh, I would, I would tout being his lucky charm, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I say. But, um, so 
it, that's kind of how it started. And then obviously, uh, as I started kind of hunting with my bow, I started talking to Gilbert. It's like, Hey Gilbert, I went out there bow hunting and this is what I did. And one day Gilbert calls me up and he goes, Hey man, you need to, uh, you know, I, you need to come to this hunt, you know, I, you know, we're, we're going out to New Mexico and we're going with these two guides and this is how, you know, this is how it's going to work out and blah, blah, blah. You, you know, you need to come to this hunt. This is a once in a lifetime deal, man. It's going to be awesome. And I'm like, sign me up, you know? So I went to that hunt with Gilbert and, uh, man, just driving up to New Mexico, it was just surreal for me. Right. I mean, you know, when your soul is getting touched, and, and, you know, when, when passions, passions are just surfacing and, and you're like, wow, this is, there's something here, you know? And, uh, there was a realization of my, my smile from the moment we started driving up into that mountain, it just never ceased. Right. And, and I think if you hear Joe tell the story of how he met me, you know, he'll relate to, you know, he'll probably mention some of that because he was kind of in awe that, just the the drive from where we were to camp was terrible. And, uh, and he was just concerned because our vehicles were getting all tore up and, uh, and we're like, man, it's just, it's a long, difficult drive. And man, I was just having a blast. I was laughing and it was just like, and Joe was like, who's this guy, man? It was like, I said, Joe, I can turn around right now and be fulfilled emotionally because of how much fun I've already had, you know? And he's like, man, well, you haven't seen anything yet, man. So you wait a minute. You know, it's like until you hear the first bugle. Um, so I, I started hunting with Joe, which have, um, the, my very first hunt that next morning was with Joe and Chaff and, uh, incredible. Right. I saw my first, uh, uh, I say I saw I, I had seen elk before, but I saw my first elk hunting with a bow that day and they didn't see it. I saw it, um, but uh, it was a setup and, Joe, you know, it was thick and Joe was trying to call it in and it was coming in, but it just it didn't like it and turned around and left. Um, so after that hunt, uh, you know, Joe is like, yeah, you know. You need to come back, right? So during the hunt, I was telling Joe about Manana. I was like, man, I have this friend of mine who, you know, is as passionate as I am. Um, he loves bow hunting and blah, blah, blah. You guys need to know this guy. If there's an opportunity to come next time, I, you know, would love to, you know, bring this guy over if you guys let me. And they were like, well, yeah, we'll see. And then uh, next year, um, we were able to extend the invitation to, to Manano. And, uh, I mean, he lived up to the expectation, right? I mean, Manano was Manano. Um, we had an incredible time at camp. He just loves to cook and he just like, he's so, such a, an incredible servant. You know, he just cares so much about people and everybody else first, you know, and, and obviously Joe fell in love with that as well. Right. And so we had an incredible hunt that year, that year we actually didn't draw. And, uh, so we were like, you know what? We don't care. We'll just buy an over-the-counter bear tag and we'll tag along just for the experience, right? So, um, yeah, man. And so we did. And guess what? Manano and I shot the same bear and, uh, and, and killed it, right? So we harvested a bear together um, minutes after Joe killed his, uh, his bull. And so 
the following year, the third year, uh, we were having a conversation with Joe uh, Manano. So the way we used to go out is Chad would go with Gilbert and whomever else Gilbert would invite. And then uh, Joe Manano and I would hunt together. And so we spent a lot of time together in the mountain, man, and, and talking about life and stuff like that. Right. And I told Joe one day, I said, Joe, listen, man, uh, I'm no genius, but I think that the amount of knowledge that you have about elk hunting, um, it's incredible. And you'll be doing a disfavor to humanity if you pass away and you take all this crap with you to the, to the grave. You know, you need to figure a way to share this, man. I don't know what it is. I can't, I, but, a, you know, a book, something. You have to capture this knowledge, yours and chaff. This has to be passed along, man. We can't, you know, you can't die and take this with you. And I give him crap, right? I was like, man, you know, you're shit. getting pretty old up there. You know, I was like, I was like he's like, shut up, man. I don't know what you're talking about. I cannot ride you in this mountains, right? So, uh, and he sure can. But so, and, and funny enough, Manano kind of, you know, Manano and I were talking, Manano kind of had a similar conversation with him. And, and so maybe things were already clicking in his head and it's not like he needs a lot of push i mean the guy's extremely driven and smart so come february so that was elk season that is september february he, he he calls us up and he's like guys buckle up i created a company it's called elk bros you know, we're, we're going to do a podcast and, and I'm working on a webpage and, and we'll see where it goes from there. And we're like, Oh my God, dude, are you serious? Like, yeah, yeah. And he was just all over it, man. I mean, just doing all the due diligence and getting after it. And, you know, that's kind of how the Elbros started. Right. I mean, like I said, um, I know that Manano's and my conversation probably did a little bit of influence, but I don't think he needed it. <laughs> you know, I think that was coming regardless. Right. And, uh, it was a catalyst for, for him to be able to share that. I mean, when you listen yeah. to Joe, just Joe and I talk quite often, right? If we're not on the phone, we're texting, talking mess back and forth. And, and I'm giving him guff cause he's a little bit slow on, uh, firing off on me. <laughs> we, we were talking before we got on, um, but but when when he is allowed to share that passion, dude, you can't help but fall in love with with the man, right? I mean, it's just amazing. And then the it's way contagious. that he, yeah, and the way he disseminates the information, anybody anybody could grab that, take hold of it, and run to the woods. You know, I look, Manano picked it up. <laughs> that's okay we can trash man i know all we want and i can even talk good about him and i know he will never know <laughs> i understand it right and, and and i because it's hard for me to not talk about these things but what what about it driving into camp was just like i could drive away right now and be okay with this yeah um, it's just because I have found that the mere exposure to the woods and nature has a healing, um, a property in my system, you know, um, the air in New Mexico and, and look, 
New Mexico is a special, right? I mean, just the way the mountains are, the way it smells, the way, you know, it just, it's just special, but it's also very special because, you know, I come from Venezuela, a very different ecosystem. And, uh, I also live in Texas, which is, you know, very different. Right. So obviously if I compare New Mexico to Texas, I'll say, well, you know, Texas is not very pretty, but New Mexico is extremely gorgeous. But if I was born and raised in New Mexico and then I come to Texas, then I could probably see the beauty in something different, you know, the, the, the dry uh, desert, uh, the, and, and look, there's beauty to it. Right. Uh, but me being from Texas, uh, I won't lie. If I go to public land and I grab my bow and I just walk in the woods all day, um, it's fulfilling. It's uh, refreshing. Um, it's healing and, uh, it's peaceful for me. So, um, at the end of the day, that that's why when I was like, when I got to New Mexico, got to see those mountains, enjoy that drive in and just the challenges of going through the mud and giving Gilbert crap about, you know, his vehicle, not crossing mine crossing or vice versa. Right. All of that stuff, the camaraderie and there's just the joy. It just imprinted a memory in my head that I'm never going to forget. Right. So bottom line is like, I've, I've got a, erasable memory i'm good to go you know I, I and of course look i knew there was more to come right i mean i knew um that was just scratching the surface right so i was just so excited uh to be out there and that's the same way every year you kind of plan your year around that it's because of how you feel in the mountains it's the emotions of um you know the listening to the animals just uh looking for them there's something primal about you know what you feel when you're chasing this animal that um triggers all these emotions right and then year on year and and all the elbows can can share this because we've all lived each other's journeys right and uh Look, I, my journey on the elk hunting world has been extremely tough, man. Um, when I look at those six years, gosh, man, you know, the first four years was coming back blank, you know? And uh, so it's actually seven then. <laughs> so it's actually seven years. So, but the first four years for me were blank. And uh, it's tough, man. And so... These mountains and elk hunting, it, it has a way of tapping into, into your personality and your soul in a way that I have not experienced anything else. Meaning, yes, because it, it puts you to the test at all levels. It, it teaches you your limits. It teaches you, and when I say limits, I'm talking limits on not only physical, but mental, right? And, uh, and, and the second one being the most scary one, because it's, it's kind of like, oh, I'm going to the mountains elk hunting for the first time. It's like, oh, I wonder what this is going to unveil in my head. Maybe I'm crazy and I don't know it. Right? <laughs> so, uh, and you don't know this until when you go the first time, but. Yeah, but then, man, it just, and it doesn't get any easier, man. It's just like every year on year, 
you start, you get to know yourself better. So talk about a therapy of just knowing yourself better. And, and it just somehow drives you to, to want to be a better person too. It's like, man, what were my failure points as far as personality on how I was at camp, you know, and sharing and just being completely exhausted, but still caring more for the other guy and just like careless of your hunt to, 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 to do whatever you need to do to make the other guys hunt better, not, you know, being selfless, you know, it's, it becomes, you know, some people do yoga, right? Some people uh, go to church and, 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 and meditate about these things. And I mean, this is like hands-on experience. Like at this point you realize, Oh my God, I'm a terrible human being for feeling or thinking this way. It, should I be feeling or thinking this way or is this normal, you know? And it's just like, you know, it's, it's right there. You're in the mountain, you're not going anywhere and you're sharing camp with, you know, five or six other dudes that are probably going through the same journey, maybe in different phases too, which makes it even more challenging because the mindsets are, could be very different. It, what, and what's, uh, what's always impressive to me is, the yearning for that growth, right? And and initially, like, it's okay, I'm going to go out 100%. here and I'm going to chase elk. I'm going to kill an elk, right? And you're all into it. And then you step out again and, and there's something different about it. You found something and it's like, okay, what is that, right? You, you feel like it's just this desire for this animal. And for me, it's not right? It, it's that yearning for that growth, that betterment, that self-improvement. And year to year, I feel like, there's, there's more of me to know if that's right. It, it, there's more of me to know and there's nothing that's going to stop that. And I know at the end of it, successful, however you look at success, right? Successful or not, there's going to be growth in it. And, yes. and stepping back from the tag, I want to, I want to arrow bulls, right? But stepping back from the tag, I yearn for that growth and that learning more than I do anything else, right? Like what I thought was the end of my rope, man, I got another hundred feet to go. You know, it's just an amazing, an amazing experience, man. Yes. Um, I couldn't agree more guy. I mean, and every year is different, right? Cause, uh, like to your point, uh, you know, you, you kind of identify because I'm very thoughtful in the process of, you know, the growth. Okay. So, and there are different aspects of growing as an elk hunter. Um, there's, there's the physical preparation. There is the technical preparation, you know, and then obviously there's the mental preparation. That's, that's kind of the way I bucket the three um, main aspects of growth when you, when it comes to elk hunting. Right. So um when I come back from a hunt, you know, I dwell on, you know, what were the things in each one of those bucket buckets that were my failure points and which ones do I need to work on? Which ones are under my control and, uh, and how can I minimize or mitigate those failure points? Right. So, you know, in the physical uh, aspect, if you talk about growth again, um, 
I was full of excuses when it came to exercising, man. I hate exercising. I'm, I'll be honest. I freaking hate it. I, I just, I, I don't enjoy going out there and whooping my ass every day, you know, to kind of be in shape. I hate it. I, I'd rather be on the couch watching Netflix and, you know, drinking a good vodka or something like that. You know what I mean? So let's be clear on that. But I realized that that was one of my biggest weaknesses in the mountain, right? It was just not being in shape to keep up with Joe. Okay. So then the mental aspect and the physical aspect became one when I realized that I had to leave the excuses behind in order to be able to uh, allocate the time to do exercise, right? So I started doing that. But in order for that physical aspect to change, I had to change the mental aspect first. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, that was kind of starting to kind of take shape. And, uh, as Beto would say, oh, round is a shame. <laughs> um, but, uh, and I'm round. I'll tell you what, <laughs> but, uh, uh, so, so that was on the physical aspect, right. But the mental aspect had to be also worked on. Um, then you go through the feelings uh, of your hunt, right? I mean, you know, when, when I shot my first elk, I wounded it and, uh, and look, I'm not proud to say it, right? I mean, it, it looked like a relatively marginal shot, but the amount of blood that this elk just dripped and left behind, it was just unreal, okay? It was buckets and buckets. I mean, to the point that Joe grabbed his phone and he started filming me as I was following the blood trail because he was thinking I was going to bump into it anytime, right? And uh, blood trail started thinning out, thinning out, thinning out to where it was just droplets. Right. And I remember the guys, I was like, man, I don't know what's going on. It looked like he was actually getting on his front legs and trying to seal the wound with his shoulders, man. And every time he would do that, you would see less and less blood. These animals are incredible, right? I mean, if anybody listening already didn't know, uh, but, um, the, so it was hours, right? I mean, I shot this animal like at six 30 in the morning, seven o'clock, just first light. Um, yeah, first legal light and we tracked and we waited for like three hours before we started looking. And then it was like midday and I was still looking and the guys were like, I said, look, guys, listen, this is this is my track. Y'all need to tax to field. There's other guys here that need to go for it. Y'all go for it. I'll stay here. We'll communicate later on. You guys can come back later. You go hunt. I don't want you all to waste your time on your hunt looking for my bull and let me do that man i stayed in the woods and i started tracking and i just i was on my four pin drops like it was so hard to track and i made like 200 more yards of progress and i cannot tell you and i'm not ashamed to say it how many times i cried in that mountain i would i would get on my knees man and it's just like start praying and crying and saying you know why, you know, why, you know, why is this happening? I don't, I don't, you know, and then, you know, your whole, you go through the roller coaster of emotions in such a short time in less than one day, half a day, you go from complete virulacus, which is, you know, the bug fever of having that elk in front of you, which is not a real word for the record. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> to a complete, to an amazing emotion after the shot, 
to then extremely happiness when you see the the arrow and and then the blood trail to then just like oh wait a minute why why i'm not finding this elk to crying and just complete just sadness of of the whole situation right for several reasons you you know you don't want to wound an animal and leave it out there and then just the failure of not being able to place an ethical shot that would just kind of make it quick quick and 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 call it good right and then the all the effort that you know that you've put behind to for that moment to just get it taken away from you like that right so you know you go back home and then you you think of the, that mental process that you went through when you when you had that failure and and it's like you know what what do i do different right i mean what how do i not put myself in that situation again and um and but but i but i want to succeed i i want to accomplish the goal at the end of the day you know, that's our goal to harvest <clears throat> an elk, right? And, and look, yes, every everybody can say, oh, you know, like I said, oh, we can come back and it's all good and it's great. But look, it makes a huge difference when you come back with a rack of antlers in 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 your freaking truck, right? <laughs> so um, let's not let's not diminish that. Uh, the the whole thing is. When, when you get into those mental states, the ups and downs, and, and the emotional aspect of elk hunting, you realize that there's way more to it than just going out there and shooting at an animal, especially when you're doing it uh, public land yeah, bow that, hunting. That was probably one of my biggest realizations when it comes to elk hunting. Um and and I don't want this to come off crass in any way, shape, or form about other animals that I hunt, you know, but but I don't get the same emotional response from hunting pig or hunting deer. Now I'm excited, I'm I'm elated, I'm I'm grateful and and respectful for the animal, but there's something, I don't know what it is, man, that chasing elk triggers, right? Um yeah. You know, just like this year, I'm coming home and, you know, I was on the mountain for 20 some odd days and uh, woke up to hunt. And and just from all the experiences I had and all that I learned and, you know, they just just watching, you know, my calling ability improve and the ability to call elk in and, and do all these things that I was doing with elk and speak the language. And I was like, you know what, I'm going home. And I, I packed up and I drove home. And, and there's that that instance when you're like, you know, seven hours away, you're like, damn, should I have left? But <laughs> one of the things that I realized was my appreciation. And there's something about commingling with that animal because you're not just hunting them, right? You you are commingling with that animal, putting yourself as close as you can to their level, to their, to their, you know, their social world. abilities in their world. And there's something that that's super, super powerful, man. I was coming home and I, I never even posted it. I recorded a video, dude, and I just started like, like boohooing, right? Because, and it wasn't like I was upset or anything, but it was just like the, the ability to go out there and chase these animals and to speak to them on their terms. And they don't always react on your terms, <laughs> but yeah. the ability to speak to them on their terms and, and get inside that herd and do the things that we do out chasing elk 
I, I, I was just so grateful for the opportunity. So yeah, man. And that's, that's the only way that I can really explain it again. It's, it's almost inexplicable when you, when you let down your, your macho crap about, I got this hanging on the wall. Um, you know, if you can get past some of that stuff that interrupts our connection to it, I'll say, um, it's just, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal, man. But I've never, <laughs> I've never felt it with any other animal. You know, I, I just, you know, I can't find it anywhere else. And that's interesting. You know, I, uh, I, I agree 100%. I think, I think with the elk, uh, it's special because, you know, and you're bringing me back to the third bucket. Right. Which is the technical portion of it. Right. So for me, it was like, okay, I need to become proficient with my bow. And, uh, it was, it's been a whole journey of, um, being proficient with the bow, you know, uh, getting technical with my arrows, um, enhancing penetration, kind of understanding my failure points when I killed animals. I, I am also blessed in the fact that I can hunt pigs year round. Right. And, uh, that has taught me a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I do get the Vito Lacus with pigs, uh, but and and with deer as well. Uh, but I get him, I actually get more Vito Lacus with hogs. I mean, I just, that's it. I mean, hogs is probably my thing. You know, I get Vito Lacus with hogs like crazy now with elk it's obvious. Right. Uh, but to, to the point, so my last on my last trip, my, my biggest focal point was the calling ability, uh, because I needed to, you know, we always depended on, on Joe for calling and going back to the initial comment that we were having was you were saying, I was like, well, you know, you, you were blessed and lucky to just have incredible coaches to start your career. And, 100% agree. And he's like, well, you, you told me, it's like, I kind of had to kind of figure it out on my own. I've seen a lot of guys that by trying to figure it out on their own have grown quicker. Uh, maybe because, you know, for in a way, Manano and I became complacent that we always had Joe and relied on him for the calling, you know? So that kind of, you know, delay probably my, my learning on the calling because I knew I was going to be hunting with Joe. Right. And it wasn't until last year where I said, no, listen, you know what? I need to, I need to learn how to do this thing. Right. I mean, I need to, if I'm ever wanting to do this either by myself or whatever, I just, I just need to, I need to learn this. Obviously I would love to continue to hunt with Joe. Right. And, um, and, and Manano is also, you know, started this year at, in the mountains, you know, with me, uh, I was kind of helping him out. Hey, you know, do this. No, do that. This is too pitchy. This is blah, blah, blah. Um, because this year, the way things worked out in Colorado, we had to, it was just me and Manano working on our own. So it was like graduation year. Right. So it's like, okay, guys, you guys have learned a ton. Um, Joe, Joe's had faith on us the whole time. Right. He's like, you guys are ready, but I didn't, you know, I was like, shit, Joe, I don't, I don't think I'm ready. You know, I was like, I, I'm getting nervous here, dude. Are you sure? I was like, Oh man, you got this. I was like, okay, well we'll see. Right. So 
man, and, and, and it went great. Right. I mean, I think that, uh, don't get me wrong. I, I think I agree 100%. We have been blessed to be able to share camp with Joe, with Chaff, with Gilbert. Um, you know, you can't, can't beat that. Right. Um, but, I think, I think the whole technical knowledge, the whole exposure, the, the, all the failure points. I mean, just, there's so much to absorb, um, from those guys, but us being able, Manano and I, and this is the bull I, you know, that, that we kill this year, right. That I kill this year with Manano, uh, together, Manano and I alone in the mountains, trying to harvest elk and, and he was able to kill a cow. And I was able to call this guy in and kill it. Just the two of us for us was like epic. Right. I mean, it was like, Holy crap, dude, we can come out here to the mountains and, and get it done ourselves. Right. But uh, it wouldn't have been possible if we didn't have all those previous years of working really hard on those three buckets. And, uh, you know, it's been now three years in a row that I have been able to harvest when I know it's four years in a row. Um, and, and we hope to continue. Right. But, you know, we understand is elk hunting and, uh, yes, we we're positive every time we go out there, like, like Joe says, every time we go out into the woods, we're confident that we can, you know, harvest an animal, but we also understand that, you know, it's challenging and, uh, and, uh, it's, it's not the norm. <laughs> it, it, so. it definitely. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know many people that have gone out and they're like, yeah, I don't need that in my life. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, even, I, I mean, if you think about it, right. I mean, just in, in, in the sense of it's a 10% success rate for the most part. And so generally speaking, most folks, 90% of us that are doing it are going and getting our teeth kicked in every year. And, and, guys are still planning the 1st of October for the following September. I mean, that's, that's the power in, in that pursuit, you know, so, so you brought up a couple of things as we're talking there and you had said that, you know, the, the second year you guys were like, Hey, we don't have tags. We'll pull a bear tag and we'll just go tag along. And that's huge. Right. And I tell, you know, guys will be like, Oh, I can't go this year. My buddies are pulling out. And I, I forget who it was. Somebody just posted on Instagram looking for someone for next year. So I guess the plans fell apart already and guys will be like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to hold off another year. And I'm like, why, you know, go in the, if you don't have a tag, go get a bear tag, just go get in the woods, right. Be a pack mule. Um, and just practice your calling. Yeah. Go get that. Understand their behavior. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. Um, so tagging along, I mean, did you see, did you see a difference from year one to year three, just by that second year, just tagging along there? Oh yeah, man. Every, every year on year. I mean, regardless of us not hunting elk that year, Joe was hunting elk and we were with Joe. So, I mean, we were just there to watch Joe hunt. Right. And then if a bear came out, then we would shoot it. Well, it turns out that we shot the elk and the bear within 10 minutes of each other. And, uh, so, so, uh, there is growth every year and, and look, it's like everything, right? It's going to depend on you, how much you want to grow every year. And um, in the mental aspect of uh, the, in the mental bucket, um, there's, there's a couple important factors that I like to 
you concentrate on, you know, one is discipline. And, and the other one is the fear of regret. And I think, I think when I did that, that, uh, that recording for you on those shorts that you had, um, I talk a lot about that because, uh, for me being so afraid of the regret is it, it drives me to, uh, push myself harder, especially when I'm reaching those mental and physical limits up in the mountain. Right. And, and look, you got to understand, brother, I come from 10 degrees above the equator, man. I know nothing other than hot weather. Okay. And very flat lander type guy. I live here in Texas. So, you know, when I come up there, man, and it's, uh, 28 degrees and, um, we've in the last three days, we've been walking for an average of 10 miles a day up and down the mountain at, you know, nine to 10,000 feet of altitude, maybe higher than that, you know, carrying a heavy bow and a backpack and then got me to camp and cooking and just like going to bed really late at night and midnight and getting up at four 30 in the morning. Whoo! I mean, talk about the willpower to get up in the morning for that next hunt. Right. And, uh, and look, it's, it's the, the toughest thing I do at L camp is getting up in the morning. every morning. Yes, sir. It, it, you know, that's, that's an important thing <laughs> to talk about. Right. Because like, you know, again, I'll go back to, excuse me, I'll go back to my experience and, and that's what it looks like for me, you know, 11, 12 o'clock, to bed and it, you know, depending on, on where you're planning to be or trying to be in the morning, you might be getting up at, you know, three, three thirty, and sure. just, just in a week's time, if you're doing that, right. And, and you're just pushing and you're pushing and you're pushing, you're wearing yourself out, but you, but you're breaking so many mental barriers. You're breaking so much that you thought you couldn't, right. When the alarm goes off for work, what do most people do? Or if the alarm goes off in the morning, uh, because you want to start your morning workouts. What do most people do? You know, they hit snooze. I, I do it. I'll look on my phone and there'll be, you know, four snoozes. And I'm like, I snoozed four times this morning. Shame on me. Right. But then it goes back to, will I do that in elk camp? No. So I, I gotta, wow. I gotta not do that and, and be cognizant of that. And, and that's one of the beautiful things is like translating everything you Back can to your real life, day yes. to day life. Yes. If you can translate that stuff and your willingness to just go and do not even knowing the outcome, right? We know it, 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 you know, call it the nine to five life. I'm waking up at this time. I'm, I'm going to do this for X amount of hours so I can get that paycheck at the end of the week or every two weeks. Right. We know that there's a reward. Now you go to elk camp. You don't know that there's a reward at the end of all that, but yet you still get up and do it. Imagine if you could take that power and just say, Hey, check this out, brother, and slap it in everybody. Think about what we think about what we've been living in. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that mess is powerful, man. It, it, It is. And I can completely relate brother, because listen, man. So, you know, we all have certain tasks at work that, you know, we kind of push aside and we like to procrastinate on, you know, stuff that you really don't like doing that is not urgent. You kind of put in the back burner, but you know, it's there. It's like a, like that little rock in your shoe. It's just like, dang it, you know? And uh, so, 
fine example is like if I, when I, when I have a hunt schedule to go hunt hogs or even for elk hunting or, you know, whatever, um, I say to myself, I was like, imagine how nice would it be for me to be able to leave to that hunt without anything on my back burner, the whole that clean slate. So I can go to my hunt completely mind free and not have to worry about anything pending when I come back, you know? And as like, and that is my driver to get that task done. It's it, my driver is so I can go mind free to my hunt. I'm going to go get this done. So, I mean, you can, you can use, uh, that 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 drive in in any way in your real life to kind of make you go do things that you normally didn't right i mean uh, it's yes there's so much beauty to it look man i've got i've got two daughters okay and they're 11 and 8 years old um i introduced my younger daughter and and this is thanks to gilbert too because he kind of walk me through the process and how I was the best doing it. Right. I introduced my younger daughter into hunting when she was six years old and, um, and it was fantastic. I mean, she is as passionate as I am with the hunting. She gets the view lack is the same way I do. Right. I mean, I've shared incredible memories with her in the woods hunting and, uh, you know, I've already killed two deer, um, with with her on my six <laughs> you know right on my shoulder actually when i shot this deer from from a tree stand she was with me right i've been with her when she killed you know all her animals and um it's just an incredible bond that we have built and and when we're sitting up there on the tree stands we just get to talk about life and and get to share moments that we normally don't share in our day-to-day lives right my youngest daughter you know, my youngest daughter, it's, you know, you meet my youngest daughter, you would never think that she'll be a girl that will feel comfortable in the outdoors, right? Uh, at least that was like what I thought was going to be like. And I was like, I'm still going to do my due diligence, right? So I took her out there and, um, man, it just talk about this girl blossoming into somebody else that I didn't know was there. Talk about a girl that overcame so many fears of pulling the trigger of killing the animal to being in the thick brush with me, dragging a, uh, a hog out that she had just shot, you know, and just sitting right next to me, asking me questions as I was gutting the animal. Right. I mean, she showed more, (laughs) more, uh, interest in the whole process than my older daughter and which is extremely passionate so it's just like for me the woods have you know they have an ability to kind of bring the best in people like listen it can they can also bring the worst <laughs> out, out in people right and uh but that's precisely part of the mental work that and the kind of internal catharsis that you have to go through to become a better human being. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, if, if you go out elk hunting as an elk hunter and you come out of the woods, you know, um, not being a better or improved human being, 
There's something wrong with you. Well, you you said it earlier, right? And and, and it goes to any three of those buckets. And, and if folks were missing it, we were talking about a bucket the whole time and it'd be the mental one. But it goes back yeah. to what you said earlier and you have to want to learn it. You have to you have to be honest about seeing it and learning it and, and taking it in or it's all for naught. And I and honestly, I, and there's people that it doesn't do what we're talking about for, right? It's just, you know, it's for them. It's, it's one thing and that's, you know, more power to kill them. Yeah. But I, I tell you what, I feel like for me, if that's all it was, I would be missing a whole heck of a lot of stuff. Yeah. And man, no. so going back to your girls out there, you know, when my boy was, I think I started taking him out when he was probably three or four with me and here he can't, he couldn't, uh, big game hunt until he was 12. So we would go to Texas every year and, uh, that's where I got him started. So he was six years old on his first rifle hunt and, and, and good on. And the reason I bring that up is, is big ups on Texas because that's, it's phenomenal that you have the opportunity to take the little ones out like that. And they have an opportunity and it's just, especially now to me, like the earlier you can introduce them to it with all the distractions and all the external input, um, especially because it's, a lot of what we see, and, and it's not well, it's not everywhere, but the exposure is kind of, but the adversarial stance to hunting in general. So the sooner the better, right? Let them experience yes. that and and let them make the decision. And as they get older, you know, it's something that's ingrained in them, and they can make the decision based on the outward input, whether or not they agree or disagree, based on their experience. And I, I love that Texas still has that that younger age limit. Yeah, Texas is very conducive um, for that stuff. And plus, you know, they make it easy on the permitting too. And, and as far as tags go, I think the way that, you know, that the, the normal hunting setups are here with like blinds and feeders and, and uh, you know, and rifles, it makes it to where, you know, the kids can get away with a lot when you're inside the blind and, you know, as far as the noise and if they want to be playing or eating candies and stuff like that, right. You got to make it fun, fun for them. And I, I learned this from Gilbert. Right. And so I just kind of followed Gilbert's instructions. It's like, I used to bring, you know, a ton of candies out there and, you know, candies that mom would normally say, no, you can't have those, you know, at the house. And I was like, okay, which ones do you want? Let's, let's go have some, you know? And, and so, <clears throat> You can, it's, it's conducive with the way I did it with my girls with well, actually with a crossbow and, and a crossbow. And again, thanks, thanks to Gilbert's input, because the crossbow has the beauty of being lethal as lethal as a bow, if not more because of the higher speeds. Uh, but yet it doesn't have the, the, the loud sound and the hard kick of a, of a rifle. Right. So, and then, you know, you have the sight, which kind of, you know, makes it simple. It has a little bit of magnification. So I think it's the best of both worlds for kids to start. And they both started out with a crossbow and, and it's just like, and, and my older daughter, she's already transitioning into the rifle and she actually shot a, a nice hog, big hog this year with a rifle for the first time uh, from a tree stand. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, and, and and they ask for it, right? Like my daughter is like, Dad, when are we gonna go hunting? Right. And I just teaching them that it, it's it's not about just the kills. And it's 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 just also about the memories and 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 the time that we can spend together. And 
And look, my daughter has gone through the roller coaster of emotions, right? The older one, right? She shot a deer this year that we couldn't find, right? And she, you know, I thought for sure we were going to find it and we didn't, right? And she was, you know, brokenhearted. And it's not the first time this happened to her, right? But she's already understanding the, you know, where to put the the value of the hunt, you know, and uh, and I, I'm actually in a way glad that she's experiencing these things at the young age to uh, because like if she would have every animal that she would have shot, she would have recovered. You know, I was like, hmm. Eventually, you know, the truth. You know, eventually the 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 reality of the hunt is going to kick in one time, one day she's not going to harvest what she shot and how is she going to deal with it? So I'm kind of glad that they're starting to deal with that and especially teaching them the respect, not only to um, uh, respect the nature, but respect the animal. So we have a, a prayer, a really nice prayer that we put together um, that we we pray over the animal when we harvest it you know where we thank god and we thank the animal and we ask god to you know um, you know take the animal spirit and we ask god to bless the animal's meat to um so he can just you know be for um our families and, and our friends and we can share it right so that's the other portion of it you know the share of the hunt you know we we've got some meat now in the house whom of our friends would want me and let's go out. And it's like, Hey, Sophia, you killed it here. You share, you give it away to somebody that, you know, wants the meat. And at the same time, it's just respecting nature and, and just enjoying being in nature and being appreciative of the, the respect. I, I feel like the respect for, for life, uh, it yes. holds, it holds more value with it. Um, and, and where else in, in what other, and I've, I, I can't figure it out, but in what other activity and in, in what other outing and what other adventure and what other sport or hobby or however you look at it, do you find the values that can instill in a grown person and, and have the same impact on a, a young life, right? There's nothing else that provides that level of value and, and it, maybe it's the wrong term, but moral compass uh, and, and gratitude and respect. I mean, it's just all encompassing. And when, when, you know, hunters take a beating from, you know, other folks or any hunters or whatever it is, it, it's always to me, my first response is it's apparent you have no idea, right? They, they yeah. just don't have a clue. And they're looking at the end result, this, this almost superficial aspect of it to a point and, and don't have a real understanding or grasp. And I almost at times feel sorry for them. Cause it's like, wow, yeah. you have no idea of the power. Yeah, man. It's so hard nowadays. You I mean you, as a society, we've become so polarized to, to our own views. Right. And, and it's funny, you go to social media and you're going to find exactly what you think and, and what you want to find, you know, and you're going to find that what you want to find is right. So <laughs> Yeah. When, when it's not always the case, you know what I mean? So it's like, uh, you know, if we, if we have a solid stance on any, any view, um, our contacts are, 
what the stuff that we like in social media and stuff like that is going to reflect that. So the social media is going to feed us back what we want it to fit us back. And then we take it as the reality when, when not necessarily the true, right? So that has made us more polarized as a society. Um, and then just so, um, difficult to see other points of views let's put it that way so i think i think as hunters um not only is our responsibility to to stand for what we believe in but also to you know teach society that we are respectful of other people's opinion and and not become confrontive and uh, just, you know, use facts and, and keep her cool. Right. Because I think, I think the moment as of any argument, the moment that we become upset for, for the other people's position, then, you know, in a way we lose, we lose the, 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 the credibility. Um, I'll put it to you simple, you know, and, and Rafa is, 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 my compadre, right? Like I'm, I'm the godfather as one of his daughters and a close friend. Um, he, he lived in Alaska and he moved back to Houston. He actually moved really close to where I live. Uh, when he came to Houston, I'm kind of introducing him to hunting. He's never, he had never hunted before. And, um, and he was like on the fence. I was like, ah, I'm not a pro hunter. I'm not, you know, I just don't fully, you know, understand it is like, you know, it's just not down for the whole, um, killing animals and stuff like that. And he's like, but I think the beauty of it is that I was respectful in his position and he was respectful with mine. And as we started kind of sharing beliefs and understandings and facts back and forth, he was like, he was very open-minded. And so, so was I, I was like, Hey man, listen, I mean, there are things here that I I'm still kind of trying to understand better. So don't take me for granted. You know, the two of us can do more research and understand things better. And he was a researcher, right? So he started looking into facts and into numbers and, and I'm like, you know, I said, look, when you're comfortable, if you ever want to try it, you know, I, I can, we can make this transition for you to try it very easy. I get backup stuff. We can, you know, find you a, a cheap bow and we can go out to public land and try this together and, and, and just go for it. And I can't get Rafa to stop hunting now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the dude is an avid, you know, avid hunter. Uh, he loves it. Bow hunter. That's all he wants to do, right? He has a rifle and he's shot and he's killed with his rifle now, but now he's got rifles. He's got handguns. He, he's a bow hunter. And, you know, we talk weekly and he's like, you know, he wants to, you know, go hunting. He wants to, he's taken his daughter hunting. His daughter has harvested an animal and he's just loving the whole um, journey that he's on. But there's right? a lot and to be it, said for, for taking your approach to that. Right. And, and a lot of times we're, you know, we will pound the table, um, in, in opposition to even to people. And I've, I've heard it and I've seen it even to people who don't understand, but aren't objected to it. They just don't get it. And we want to pound the table when we, we, and then we, we shut them off as well as the opportunity to show them, right. Yes. What, what, 
this lifestyle has to offer. And, and that approach is perfect. I mean, you listen to, to any, anybody, um, with any wisdom in it and they'll tell you like, you know, yeah, you're probably not going to win the anti hunters, but it's the, it's the non hunting demographic that you need to win over. And if that's one at a time, then, then so be it. Uh, that's to yeah. me, that's a big deal. And look, like, like I, like I tell people that you don't believe it and are against it. I was like, man, now yeah, I, I get it. I understand, you know, I'm not doing anything illegal. And to be honest, the more people like you, the more hunting there is for me. <laughs> so, so, uh, no. And, and look, it's, uh, it's, I, I have a lot of people. So when I created my Instagram account, um, it was because my hunting Instagram account, it was because I posted some stuff on my personal account and I got pounded by my, you know, by, by the people that follow me, my friends and family, you know, it's like, Oh my God, you are assassin and blah, blah, blah. How could you, especially when I, when I killed that bear, when I posted the pictures of the bear, I had family and friends just kind of now giving me a hard time. Right. And I was like, you know what? I said, I did, I did nothing illegal. I, I respect y'all's position. I hope you can, you guys can respect mine. And then I deleted everything hunting out of my personal account. And then I created an account an Instagram called only hunters. <laughs> and the name was pun intended. It's only hunters. So if you're coming to snoop into my account is because you're a hunter. And if you're not, then I don't want to hear it, you know? So that, why are you here? If this is only for hunters, you know? So, um, I created that account only hunters, which, you know, long story, then it turned into the VM hunters and VM standing for, uh, Venezuelan mafia, because that's what the Elbros, uh, you know, called us, you know, and I just want to make a, a brief pause here to make it clear. Now, you know where I'm coming from. I am the true and only leader of the Venezuelan mafia, you know, Manano wants to be, but you know, there's just see, he's just got a long way to go, man. That's just all I'm saying. Um, so anyhow, uh, the, the, the Venezuelan mafia came to be because of Beto and, and, uh, the Elk Bros, right. So they call us the mafia boys. And, and, um, and so in that account, it really just no, no hate whatsoever. Right. I mean, uh, none at all. So it's been great. And, and if anything, just a lot of people supporting and, and, and a lot of people just asking questions and, and especially now with the heavy arrow build stuff, uh, if we go to the technical back to the technical bucket, I know we've been jumping buckets back and forth. Um, but, um, you know, I had some guys that, uh, really interested in the heavier arrows and has asked me to kind of do setups for them. And, uh, you know, I kind of somehow that triggered something, right. So now I'm helping people with setups and, and, uh, and enjoying that, loving it. And, and look, if I'm meticulous, because I am, I cannot tell you how meticulous I have been with these guys because it's like, I don't have a problem if I have a failure and it's my stuff, but like for my arrow to fail somebody else, I was like, I can't have that. So, um, it's been fun, man. It's, uh, it's been an incredible journey that, uh, I don't ever, I won't ever regret, uh, being on. And if anything, now my mindset has shifted to how can I, you know, 
get to where I can have a cash flow in my life to where I can dedicate the rest of my life to doing this. You know, how can I turn this into my job and have fun doing it for the rest of my life? Um, <clears throat> there's not a single day that goes by that I don't think in those terms, right? And uh, I'm stronger believe, a strong believer in that, you know, if you wish for it and you ask the universe, it will conspire to, to, to help Bring you it achieve to fruition, it. Yeah. You just gotta, so, just gotta grind at it a bit too. You, you do, you, you have, you certainly have to. And it goes back to the journey of the elk, of elk hunting, right? You know, like I said, it took me four years before I could harvest my, my first elk. Um, and when it finally happened, man, it was so freaking emotional. I could, the emotions running through me were so strong. I couldn't contain them. I broke out crying because I just didn't know my, my body didn't know how else to release those emotions because the moment it happened, it was just a movie of all, all the whole journey up until that point. And, and it was just, it was gratitude. It was, uh, you know, happiness. It was, uh, it was, uh, emotions all over the place but mainly gratitude, appreciation. Uh, and, and again, you know, if those feelings are not the core of our soul, then I don't know what else it is. You know, especially when you feel that level of appreciation, gratitude, humbleness, and, um, all you in know, one moment. I'm due, you know, it's funny, right? Because you, you go through, you go through these, these, levels of what your expectation is right and you have this script that you lay out and and this game plan that you follow and and until you realize that the elk don't care about that script and that game plan and that technical <laughs> bucket and it's on their terms you know my first bull 2018 arrowed my first bull took a day and a half to find him i found him he's poached out i oh. haven't i haven't arrowed a bull since um, and it's, there's been a lot of satisfaction in just my growth as an elk hunter, right? After that, you know, when I, when I drove away from that experience, um, I'd never had that, that moment of regret, I guess, for the lack of a better word that I would never do this again, right? It was just about, okay, what's the uphill battle? Dude, I can't imagine at this point with as consumed, drunk, addicted I am with with elk that uh, if I'm able to stand up <laughs> when I when I walk up on that bull, I I'd, I'd be I'd be shocked, you know? It's just I can't even imagine and and quite honestly, I'm anticipating the cry Right. I, I, oh, yeah. I can't I can't <laughs> wait for that moment. I mean, I can wait in terms of I want to do it my way on my terms and I'm stubborn. Right. I'd, I'd rather learn things the hard way. Um, yeah. I can't. I cannot wait, dude. <laughs> I can't wait. You know, and it just. Oh. You know, I can I can sit here all night and, you know tell you how I felt and you, you know, it's, uh, 
you know, it's you, I won't be able to transmit, you know, or explain what, what, what I felt that day. I mean, I just, it was like, and look, a lot of it has, has been caught on video, right? Because that was, uh, yeah, it was an incredible footage actually. And, and <clears throat> we never quite put that one out there. The shot is out there is actually at the Elk Bros Academy. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's there. Um, you actually see the shot and the moment I took the shot, but I mean, the way I was shaking afterwards when I hugged Joe and when I hugged Monano and, um, just the, I mean, I had to grab a tree and just kind of put my head on my, on, on my arm and, um, it just crying, man. It's just like, it just, uh, I, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, maybe that's and, important uh, that, that that's shared, right? So people can see that emotional connection to it. And and there's probably some explanation either, right? Because some yahoo will grab it and run the other direction with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you sick, you sick murderer. Look at how you respond. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I, I think it would be hugely powerful to share something like that and, and show that emotional side. And a lot of times, I mean, even, you know, even in our displays of, you know, the grip and grin or whatever, we, we miss that, you know, and, and I think, you know, some of us lose sight and, you know, there's times where, you know, getting beat up on the mountain, excuse me, um, where frustration kicks in. Right. And, and you don't think of those moments. And, and honestly, I think when I think of walking from point A to point D, and and I forget about B and C in there, right? It, it kind of throws my game off, right? You you need those types of reminders. It's not about, you know, just putting your hand on bone. Um, so I think that stuff is amazing. I love seeing that stuff, man, when when guys are just, you know, when they're just taken back um, and, and can't put words to it and the emotion just hits. It's just raw, man. But that's hunting. <laughs> that's That's elk hunting. It is, man. And look, you know, to your point of um, just when we were talking about, you know, kids being exposed to all of this, it's just this natural cycle of life, right? And and it sounds cliche, you know, and it's like the, the natural circle of life and whatever, but there's something to it, man, and something magical to it, as, as cliche as it may sound. And because, you know, it, look, Ian, there's, there's people, when, when I find, when I get known hunters, normally I'm not out there voicing the stuff, you know, but when I do meet people, at some point I want to touch the subject because I, I want to know if I can share this passion with, with that person, right? Um, but, you know, normally when I find people that just reacts negatively to it, you know, I said, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, it just, are you vegetarian? And, and, and I was like, no, I'm not vegetarian, uh, but I'm against animals being killed. It's like, oh, okay. I understand. So, I mean, no, I respect that. I get it. A lot of people is not comfortable killing an animal, but you're comfortable and an animal being killed so you can eat meat. Right. And so normally that ends the conversation of the dispute of, yeah, no, I, I, I'm okay with eating meat. I just, I'm not comfortable killing an animal. I said, 100% respect it. You know, we're not all born to, to, 
you know, with the abilities to, to be able to harvest an animal and be okay with it. And that's fine. As long as you understand that it's necessary. Right. And then people that tell me, yes, I'm a vegetarian and I'm completely against it. And I was like, well, you know, I got a couple arguments for you and please be open and receptive about it. The hogs I kill every year help the farmers where their crops don't get destroyed. So you can get your veggies. And then you know, I love this Kevin Costner line in the Yellowstone series. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, because I've been giving people a mess about that. That is not Kevin Costner's line. <laughs> oh, it's not? Whose line is it? I Man, I, you know what? I'm going to have to do the research because I heard that years and years ago. And then it's funny because that whole that whole show, people are, are like, you know, posting quotes. Uh, I don't know the people's names on it, like, you know, but it'll have like yeah. the character name and then a quote. I'm like. Son of a bitch, that's not a real person. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, that yeah, quote came yeah. from somewhere else. Give credit where credit is due. Yeah, so sorry. I'm sure somebody else came up with the line, but I mean, you know, in the show, it's just the moment, the way he says it, it's awesome, right? About plowing the field and how many animals die when the, the field's getting plowed, you know, for to, to plant the, to plant uh, plants, you know, and, and it give edges out. So, I mean, it's just a matter of perspective, right? And And I think that, you know, if if we want to be advocates of of hunting and and this beautiful tradition, and and look, at the end of the day, humanity is here today because of hunting. As as much as many people may want to say that we don't need them, we don't we don't need the meat. Humanity is where it's at today because of meat and because of hunting. So, I mean, you can't deny that fact. So, but if we want to be advocates of hunting. And, and let it be perceived as, as what it actually is and, and what we, the beauty that we all see in it as far as being better human beings, being respectful, honoring the animals, you know, respecting nature, you know, it, 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 instilling values uh, to, your, to your children and family, values that go beyond just the actual pulling the trigger, right? And values that go... Um, to the point of, hey, if you, if you want to deserve this animal, if you think you deserve this animal, have you done your due diligence? And, and look, honestly, honestly, man, I like my journey of four years, I look back and I think, you know what? I think the mountain was telling me, you don't deserve this animal yet. You're not ready for this animal yet. You have to grow for me to let you harvest an animal from this mountain. And you're not quite there yet. You know, I feel, I honestly feel that there was something to that, man. And, so, you know, I may sound facetious or whatever, and it may sound weird, but deep inside, I feel like, because, and, and here's my argument for that now, guy. If I would have gone there that first hunt with Gilbert, with a rifle, Pull the trigger on that first day when I had a shot opportunity and kill that elk and harvested, I probably would have been done with elk hunting. I've done it. I went out there, you know, got, got my, you know, got my elk and got the meat. That's it. You know, check the box done. But the fact that that didn't happen, the fact that then when I went bow hunting, that didn't happen. The fact that then I didn't draw, on the following year, the fact that then on the following year, it also didn't happen. It was like, 
what do I have to do to make it happen? And, and that just triggered all that, you know, inside emotions and, and drive to is like, you know what, you know, I'm going to keep grinding at this until I make it happen. And I wanted it to happen with a bow in public land. And, uh, and, and, and so it, and so we, you know, it happened and, and I'm blessed for it, but I don't think the story would have been the same if I wouldn't have gone through the challenges. You, you know, it's funny you bring that up. I, and, and, and I should, before I bring stuff up, I should have it in front of me, but, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm not Joe Rogan. Um, Jamie's not, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I read something and, and I'm always curious about elk. And so, you know, I, I've read books that, you know, were published in 1950 or copyrighted in 1951, you know, and I remember reading something, uh, online and, and really looking at what the elk meant to native Americans, right. And tribes. And, and they all have very similar meanings and respect, uh, for elk and, and descriptives, um, when, with the embodiment of an elk. But one of the things that you said, um, about not deserving it. Um, look at, get online and just type in like, you know, uh, native, native Americans and elk and exactly what you said, like, you know, you, okay. you will, when the elk feels like you deserve it, that, I mean, that oh, was, wow. it's, it's part of, uh, a couple of tribe cultures, you know, that, that when, when you show the strength and endurance and patience and the wisdom then, then the Wapiti will allow you. And there's different wow. names for it. I'm just using Wapiti as, as a reference yeah, yeah. to one of them. Um, I'm going to look it up. I honestly yeah. have never seen anything like this. It's yeah. just. A, if you a, can't a, find a it, mere... let me know and I'll, and I'll hunt it down. Uh, but it's pretty That's interesting, amazing. man. Oh, I, I 100% feel that way guy. I mean, 100%. I feel that it was, it was the, the work of nature to keep me hooked and develop me as a human being. You know, I, I just flat out, I feel that's it was, it conspired to make that, that, that be the case. Right. No, I, for me, I, I feel it, man. Some people will listen to this and be like, well, I thought I was listening to something that was going to talk about killing elk, but I mean, you know, it's, it, this to me is all encompassing um, everything that we've talked about, you know, and, and, and some of these things, yes, they sound cliche and, and to a point kind of hunter hippie, mountain hippie, <laughs> right? But but these are all the things that that have have added value to both our lives in the pursuit of this one freaking animal, right? Animal. This, this magical, majestic, you know, all those descriptives that we use. And it's just, it's just a phenomenal experience, man. And I don't there's not much that gets me going like them. You know, I mean, nobody can see you right now, but the grin on your face as I'm saying it, I mean, you know exactly what I'm saying. Exactly you know? and what you mean. And it's just something that that you, you can't help but want to share, you know? And, and like I said earlier, and not to be little, be little, you know, deer hunting or pig hunting, and I love chasing muleys here, but man, there's nothing that that quite gets it like, like elk. It's just yeah. unreal. Look, man, man. this year... When Manano harvested his cow, this was day four, I believe, of our hunt. Um, 
I think I got more emotional with his cow than I did with my elk. I, I kid you not, man. And, and, uh, you know, it's funny because he says the same thing about my elk, you know, and there's something about that bond of friendship and brotherhood that you build in the woods that you know, that, you know, you got your best friend on your, you know, on your shoulder, on your six and, and you're both out there just, you know, trying to become better people and, and enjoy nature and harvest this incredible animal. Right. And for us is, was, it was like graduation time too. Right. Cause you know, we all look up to Joe and Chad, right. And, and, and Gilbert Manano and I do. And it's like, man, we, we want to make these guys, these guys proud. This is at an additional level to the own pressure that we give ourselves just, just for the elk harvest. Right. So the fact that the two of us were out there and he was able to harvest that cow. And then we, we quartered that animal and we carried it ourselves down a mountain and we, you know, brought all the meat down to the four wheeler. And when that was done, man, we, you know, we're just out there and sat down on a rock and it got emotional, man. I, I, I started crying, man. I, you know, anybody listening to this podcast, like, dude, all you do is cry. I was like, man, I normally don't, but the friggin' mountains have something about, you know, touching my soul in a specific way that it just, it makes me sensitive, man. It makes me, uh, or sensible. It, it makes me emotional. Right. And it, it just, it just, it but just that's, flourishes. But, but that is okay, right? And I think that's part of it is that you realize that that's okay, and and you're not yes. you're not sad. You're 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 if anything, it's overwhelmed it's, with emotion. Yeah, but but that pride and being proud of of Manano and knowing the yeah. struggle and the accomplishment and what it means to him and to you and and just bringing that full circle, man. There's you know. It's like knocking the ball out of the park a, a, a million times over. Absolutely, Such man. It's just a suit, dude. It is. And, and look, when, uh, when, when, you know, this is day six or day seven. Oh, if anything, let me, let me make a quick, a quick pause here. If anything, I was pissed at Manano because I was like, it was funny, dude. This, the, the way this happened, it was funny. I was taking a dump. Okay. We were up in the mountain and I'm taking a dump and I was like, we got to a point and I've been kind of, I've been cow calling as we were walking because we were making a ton of noise. We're walking through some dead branches and dead falls and I'm just cow calling, right? Just like, man, I doubt that anything will just, you know, come in we're just making so much freaking noise, but I'm just going to cow call, see if I can camouflage some of this crazy noise that we're making going through this deadfall. So we got to, um, kind of like a little view area where we could see a little park. Um, and, uh, we kind of paused there cause you know, catching, catching some, uh, uh, some air. And I tell him when I was like, dude, I'm going to take a dump. I'll be right back. And I was like, okay, man. And he was like, I think I'm going to take a dump too. And I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to sit here and wait and just watch while, while you take a dump. Man, I was taking a dump and all of a sudden I hear, I hear the shot. And I'm like, and then I hear, you know, animals running and I'm like, what the heck is going on, dude? So I just like 
wipe my ass real quick. And I get up and then as I'm trying to wipe my ass and getting up, I see Manano peeking down to where I was at. And I'm like, what the hell? And he looks down at me and he goes, you know, he starts shaking his, you know, his arm, like I hit it. And I was like, what just happened, man? It's just like, wait a minute. We're just started walking here. I was taking a dump and some all of a sudden a freaking cow dies. What's going on? So I get up there and it's like, dude, I was up here. You were, you were down there. I was just sitting here. And all of a sudden I see some cows coming up from the park. And then I saw that we're kind of coming in our direction. I just took a few steps forward and uh, I saw the first one pass and I just kind of ranged the first one, then a small calf. And then the last cow was the biggest cow. And then I just shot her 35 yards. And I think she's piled up over there, man. I don't see her, but I heard her crash. And I'm like, you got to be freaking cute. So the whole deal was I was pissed at Manano because my whole, my main goal for that hunt. And I even told this to Manano before the hunt. I said, dude, if I can call an elk for you on this trip, um, um, that's it. That's my main goal. Like, look, if I get an elk, awesome. But if I call one for you, I think that's going to be more to me, you know? So when he shot that, that, that cow, I mean, yeah, we were all excited and all that stuff. But when we got down and finally got her all packed up and stuff like that, I look at him and say, you son of a gun, dude. All I wanted to do is freaking call an elk for you. And you just went and shot one that was just walking by, man. You just took that away from me. And so uh, I was uh, kind of upset to him about it. I was like, but I understand. Look, I mean, you you know, it's elk hunting. You get an opportunity, you take it. It's not like, like you can stage some of this stuff, right? Um, but if anything, I got redemption when I was actually able to call my elk in, you know, and... Uh, which I had never done. So again, for me, graduation time was, you know, with Monano or between the two of us, we were able to call an elk in within shooting distance and we harvested it. And Monano helped me out actually with a, with a, with a rake in the tree and, and actually small cow calls that he had been learning through our hunt. So What's your, Incredible. what's your calling strategy? I mean, everybody kind of, you know, we all kind of start off emulating someone, right. Or what we've heard or what yeah. we've been listening to. Have you developed your, your language, so to speak, and, and have your own yeah. you know kind of calling strategy? As Beto would say, WWJGD, what would Joe Gillia do? Right. And, uh, but, uh, no, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, I had conversations with Joe about this and it's, uh, you can see a lot of Joe's signature in the way I call and, you know, it's, you know, I, I would never be to his level, but I, I'm proud that that's the case because then it would have talked against my intelligence of hanging out with him for six years and not picking anything up. Right. So, uh, I feel like I, you know, I am a big product of, uh, of, of Joe's methods and strategies. Right. However, Joe, Joe is, is very adaptable in his strategies. Right. And, and I think it's pretty evident that he will adapt to any situation. So if we've learned anything from Joe has been 
uh, to learn that ability to to adapt as well. I think that was key this year. And uh, basically because we were facing a completely different challenge, right? We we had to go over the counter, um, you know, bow hunting in Colorado in a heavy uh, trafficked area, right? I mean, just a lot of a lot of hunters, a lot of people in the area and not a lot of elk. And um, so, you know, Joe is very aggressive when, you know, and I know we talked, uh, we talk a lot about what aggressiveness means in our podcast. And, uh, you know, you can, you can be aggressive in your calling, but not aggressive in your intensity, I guess is a good way of explaining it. Right. I mean, meaning you don't want to show like the biggest, baddest bull in the mountain the whole time, but you can certainly create, be aggressive in creating those opportunities and, and be a lover other than a fighter, but then moving to other places when you feel you need to move. So that's his mentality as far as being aggressive. I think this year, uh, Manano and I identified real quick what the altitude was where we started seeing strong elk sign and we started actually having contact with elk. We, Manano and I were in elk every day, every day. So once we identify that, we share that with the team. It's like, hey guys, 10,600 feet. This is where the elk are at right now. And obviously that changes throughout the season, right? But uh, this is where they're at right now. This is where we're seeing sign. This is where we're having contact. We're having contact and encounters every day. Um, we're just not having shot opportunities yet, but I mean, they're there. It's just a matter of time when this is going to happen. Um, I realized that my cow calling, my soft approach to cow calling was actually having an effect. I mean, there were instances, Manano has an incredible uh, hearing ability. I mean, he can hear an ad fart a mile out, right? I mean, in the woods. So I would be cow calling and I was like, yeah there's an elk coming. I was like, what? Yeah, there's an elk coming. I hear it. I was like, what did, what did you mean? Where? Like over there. I, I just get ready because I can't hear that. Right. I can hear and I got good hearing, but I can't hear that level. Right. So, and sure enough, I mean, get an elk running a cow running our way, just, just based on just simple, you know, moving cow calling. Um, but we also learned in this hunt that the quieter we were walking. So instead of just walking fast and covering a lot of ground and, and making a lot of locating bugles to try to locate him and get in there quick and just, just walking really slow through the woods um, with cow calling and occasional um, bugles was actually regenerating a response. And when I say a response, I mean, elk moving in quietly because a lot of the elk were quiet uh, for the most part during, during our hunt this year, that first, you know, couple of weeks in September, they were very quiet. And then I think, you know, obviously there had to do a lot of things with the climate changes and, and, and yeah. And another thing we found out that it was, uh, but aside from the fact that they were kind of silent, that water was also key uh, because, you know, how dry it had been. And um, so, I mean, all these factors, you have to 
kind of take into consideration. And so when you going back to your question, as far as strategy goes, we kind of implemented a hybrid, right? But a hybrid is really just an adapted way of reacting to the environment using all the skills that we had learned from, from Joe and Chav and Gilbert and all of them. Right. And it was just walking really slow through the woods in the, in the altitude that we knew that we were seeing activity, uh, being passive in the calling and doing locating bugles every once in a while. And the reason why we wanted to be quiet is because they were coming in silently and we didn't want them to, um, if we were going too fast and too loud, if they were coming in silent, they were going to see us. And we would never, probably never even know that we spooked them and they would just turn around and go. Right. So adapting to that was key, uh, this year for sure. Heck yeah. So, all right, we, you know, we, we, we touched on, on the buckets, right. And, and if we have a guy that's, you know, a year, two years, five years into his journey, what, no, let's, let's, what would be your focal points for someone, right? When we, you know, let's call it one each game changers in each bucket. Um, okay. So the proficiency with the, if, if, if we're talking bow hunting specifically, the proficiency with the bow and understanding shot placement to me is critical at the end of the day that's going to seal or break the deal, right? Uh, so if you're capable of, you know, proficiently shooting your bow and, you know, understanding shot placement and you have good equipment that is not going to fail, that's, that's key, right? Um, on the physical bucket, you have, depending, you got to understand what type of hunting you're going to be doing, right? Look, if you're going to be hunting out of a, uh, a tree stand if you're not going to exert physical ability you just need to worry about being able to open up your bow and shoot right but if if you're going to be a guy that is going to be, be out there in public land and you're going to be covering area you have to prepare for that and the more you simulate actual situations the better off you will be because i can guarantee you, you can get very close to actual situations but nothing is going to be like the actual real deal. When you're tired, going up a hill, chasing an elk, getting in your knees, and you can't catch your breath, and then you're trying to draw a bow, yeah, tell me how it goes. <laughs> so, so you need to understand what physical challenges you're going to be facing and stop kidding yourself. And, and when I say stop kidding yourself, I'm going to be jumping into the mental bucket to tell you, um, stop lying to yourself, be honest with yourself as far as what things you need to do to make it happen, uh, what things you need to change in your day-to-day -day life, because elk hunting is not um, a hunt for um, the guy that just picks up the tag, goes out and hunts. It's this is something that is going to impact your day-to-day -day life if you want to do it right. And if you, you really want to take the challenge on, on public, public land and, and, and bow hunting. So get your head straight, um, be disciplined and, uh, be afraid of regret. Heck yeah, brother. Well, man, I appreciate the time, bro. It's been a long time coming. Um, you guys can check Luis out on, uh, 
VM Hunters on Instagram. You can check them out on Elk Bros. Catch those Elk Bros episodes as they're uh, dropping knowledge and uh, and good times uh, week after week. Are, are you guys slowing down? Yeah. I think Joe said you're going to do one every yeah, other week. Yeah, one every so, other week. So every other week after week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, all right, brother. Thank you so much, guy, man. I can't, can't thank you enough. Love doing this, dude. And uh, yeah, anytime, man. I just, you know, if you want to geek it out on elk and even arrows and, and bows and getting technical and all that stuff, I'm always, always. Yeah. Up. You know what we should do is we should trade, we should trade spec on arrows yeah. and then I'll build you one of mine. You build me one of yours and send it. I'm down and, for uh, that. That'd be pretty cool to, to kind of see, you know what I mean? And and I would, the only thing I would say is as long as we get the weight right, right? So there's yeah. not much adjustment. And then we could actually go yeah, back you and tell forth me what and, your you total what I mean? arrow weight is. And then I can build something for you. And then, and we'll go from there. Maybe even challenge you in something a little bit heavier. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. So my, my elk, what are my elk arrows right now? I think they're five. 30 they're 535 that's i good believe, that's I a good weight so see yeah. i went i i challenged gilbert to going up uh gaining 50 grain and when we went through the process here in the house i mean it was evident that it that uh, arrow really liked that weight or that that bow and, and his stance really liked that weight so that's uh i mean he's right there i think he's around 550 so I mean, a few grains there won't hurt you. I think we can build you something yeah. real good. I'll uh, yeah, we'll have to check. We'll have to exchange that man, and I'll get you a build. I'm shooting those uh, the Aerotech MTs, dude. Those arrows are. It, it's got to be the most durable arrow I've ever shot. No. I mean, it is. I need it see. I, I agree, man. Let's uh, let's talk about it, and and let me know exactly what you have. I'll tell you exactly what I have, and and let's let's talk about it because. I, yeah, we could we could abuse each other's oh setups. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Thank you so much, man. Deal, it's my such an Thank honor, you, bro. Man. Yeah, honor's all mine, brother. 